Well, good morning, Emmanuel family. I was telling the group when I did the Wednesday night a while back, I guess it was back in the summer, I was uh, doing some pulpit supply for a church over in Durham. It was actually Crescent Baptist Church, I should say, and uh, that particular Sunday morning I bounced up in the pulpit, I was so excited to be there, and told that congregation at Crescent Baptist, good morning, Emmanuel Baptist Church, it's good to be with and they were very gracious. They were very gracious, very kind uh, to kind of entertain my little uh, snippet of a mistake of sorts. I would like to maybe ask you this morning, to, to, would you help me do something? Um, I, I realize we probably have done some, some, some level of this, but I would like to ask your help this morning. I would like to ask you to help me honor some people in this church. If you are a Sunday school teacher, from our children to our adults, would you please stand for a moment? Just humbly stand for us. And let's give them a round of applause. Thank you. These wonderful folks who go to the Scriptures each week and spend time studying the Word of God, I dare say in their crowns uh, will be some special jewels they can cast at the cross at the, at the foot of Jesus. So this morning, we have the wonderful opportunity to, to discuss this theme of discouragement. And legend has it that uh, Satan was displaying his weapons to the demons. He had them all laid out on the table. And attached to each instrument was a price tag, the value of that instrument. He, of course, had all the tools on display. He had deceit, murder, gossip, gluttony, and so forth. One demon who was looking at all the weapons noticed one that was of extreme value. It was greatly priced and all the others paled in its presence and by its value. This was the tool of discouragement. The demon asked Satan, Why is this tool of discouragement priced so high? Well, Satan replied, Because this one rarely fails me. It usually works. Discouragement. Losing confidence, enthusiasm, losing heart. I don't know where you sit at on the continuum today. Maybe your world is going right side up and you're on the top of the world and you're singing and humming along, but I dare say there are many probably in our congregation today that would say, oh yeah, the devil's got his tool on me today. He is trying to discourage me. In the few moments that we have together, we're going to do a quick survey. <laughs> I realize you may not be able to follow all the passages, but I want us to have a clear conceptualization of the survey of this idea of discouragement. And today, as we think of this tool that Satan so divisively and sharply uses, 
There are actually many situations where discouragement comes our way. One situation for sure we actually find in the Scriptures, and we find that over in Matthew chapter 9. And that particular situation is what I would like to call just simply prolonged physical illness. Prolonged physical illness is a situation where discouragement occurs. In fact, in Matthew chapter 9, we're introduced to a time when Jesus got into a boat, He crossed over, and He came to His own hometown. And just then, some men brought to Him a paralytic lying on a stretcher. And seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic these words, Have courage. Have courage. Exercise courage. Your sins are forgiven. Even further down in the same chapter of Matthew chapter 9 and verse 20, we see just then a woman who had been suffering from bleeding for 12 years approached Jesus from behind, touched the tassel on His robe. For she said to herself, if I can just touch His robe, I'll be made well. And Jesus turned and saw her, and these words again, Have courage, daughter. Your faith has made you well. You know, there's something debilitating about an illness in which you never get better. The doctor comes into the room and he or she tells you that this is the best it gets for you. It could be a stroke, it could be cancer, it could be whatever, but the the long-term effect of this is that it has taken your heart, it has taken your courage, it is a very sad day. At times when I would go to the hospital and visit individuals after they've received the news, or maybe they're in palliative care, the room is dark, There's no flowers, there's no balloons. And I sit in that room with these folks and they are very discouraged because they have a prolonged illness. So prolonged illness is certainly a situation where we may experience discouragement. But then in the Old Testament, we get a glimpse of another situation where we may find ourselves in discouragement. And that just simply is, I guess, the best way to describe it is is disunity. But in Numbers chapter 32, the children of Israel are on the cusp of the promised land. It's an exciting time. God has laid out a plan and basically says, listen, if you follow my lead, we're going to go over and we're going to conquer this land. Well, we pick up in Numbers 32 in verse 1, and it says the Reubenites and Gadites had a very large number of livestock. And when they surveyed the lands of Jazer and Gilead, they saw there was a region that was a good one for livestock. So the Gadites and Reubenites came to Moses, Eleazar the priest, and the leaders of the community. Now you get what's happening here. Here we are on the cusp of a plan. God's designed a plan. We're going to work the plan. However, the Reubenites and Gadites have a different plan. 
And actually in verse 4, they go on and say that this land is good for livestock and your servants. And then they go on in verse 5, If we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. And don't make us cross the Jordan. But look what Moses says. Moses asked the Gadites and the Reubenites, should your brothers go to war while you stay here? Why are you discouraging the Israelites from crossing into the land the Lord has given them? Why are you taking the heart of the brethren? The implication is that of disunity where there's a plan. And everybody needs to be on board with the plan. I don't know if this happens for you. Maybe in your family it's supper time and everybody's planning. Okay, everybody's getting, what are we going to eat for supper? And in your family, the, well, you think, okay, three of them say, hey, let's go to Bojangles. We're going to go to Bojangles. And one person says, nah, let's go to McDonald's. Well, you had a plan. And now we've got a, a defecto here that is creating some problems. So there's disunity. There's a plan that's not being followed through. There's a, a disconnect. Maybe that may happen for you as an individual. You've got a plan. You, you've, you're working the plan and you sense that this is the direction that you need to go. And, and for whatever reason, there's a one roadblock, another roadblock, another roadblock. That person comes your way and discourages you. And, and actually, it takes the heart out of you. Disunity, the destruction of a dream. I've seen couples who were so anticipating having their, their first child. <laughs> and for whatever reason, tragedy comes. And they can't have that child. <laughs> so there's disunity and destruction of a dream that can cause discouragement. But then there is a third situation that can actually result in discouragement. And we see that just a few pages over, still in the Old Testament, over in 2 Chronicles in chapter 19. This is an interesting time in Israel's history. And actually, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, is presenting some reforms. More specifically, he's aligning judges. In 2 Chronicles chapter 19, actually there in the latter half of verse, or I guess verse 5, he says, Jehoshaphat's appointed some judges. And then he gives a task to these judges. He says to them, consider what you're doing, judges, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord. By the way, the application, application there would be all of us. Need to remember what we're doing is not for man, but it's for the Lord. And he says, Who is with you in the matter of judgment? And now may the terror of the Lord be upon you. Watch what you do. For there is no injustice or partiality or taking bribes with the Lord our God. 
In verse 9 he goes on, He commanded them saying, In the fear of the Lord with integrity, with a whole heart, you are to follow these commands. And then he delegates and relegates this task of warning people. They're going to judge. In the very last verse, a verse, uh, very last sentence of verse 11, he says, Be strong. In other words, embrace courage. May the Lord be with you, with these who do good. The reason why Jehoshaphat was holding and encouraging these individuals was because he was tasking them to live a godly life. Be people of integrity. Be people of justice. Don't take bribes. I think the application is clear for us today. You and I elect to follow God and follow God in a godly lifestyle. There will be those who wish for us to compromise. You get on 440 and you try to obey the speed limit. What happens to you? People get on your rear end and about push you off the road. You're trying to be godly. How about in the workplace? You're trying to be honest with your, your accounting, your numbers, and a colleague comes to you and says, Oh, don't, 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 don't do that. Fudge that a little bit because I've had to fudge mine. Or maybe in the home, you and your spouse have made commitments to each other. And the compromise presents itself. Or maybe in, in the school, as final exams come and there's a lot of talk about, I've got to pass this one to pass my grade. Compromise. Man, you try to stand for truth, and the tool of discouragement comes on the scene because somebody can say something to you that's very hurtful. Or they may shun you. Whatever it is they may do, you, get very, you can get very discouraged. So discouragement can come on the scene because of illness. It can come because we've had the loss of a dream or, or we're being persecuted for doing what is right. Not all of the reasons why, but we do know one thing is for sure that there, the Scriptures give us a glimpse of what this tool looks like in operation. In fact, in Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 4, we get a glimpse of this tool in operation. The tool of discouragement in operation. Perhaps you can identify with these as they are trying to, to do the work that God has tasked them to do. In Nehemiah chapter 4, we are introduced to a period of time that God, is, God has given these people a task to perform. And the enemy has come on the scene. In fact, the enemies are named specifically as Sanbad, Tobiah, and Geshem. And they're trying to incite war against these people. And in fact, in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, And Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, and he became furious. He mocked the Jews before the colleagues and the powerful men of Samaria, and he said, What are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish it? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of rubble? You see the discouragement tool being played? 
If that were not enough, then Tobiah fires up. And he said, indeed, even if a fox climbed up on what they were building, he would break down the wall. The tool of discouragement is being displayed. Watch what happens. In fact, if you jump down to verse 10, in Judah it was said, the strength of the laborers failed. The first consequence we see of discouragement is that as it even says here that we lose strength. I don't know about you, but have you ever been discouraged and you physically just don't have anything left? You've had to to battle it as best and as the greatest way you know how and the challenge therein is there's more that has to be done. There's more that has to be done. And by the way, Satan knows that. When we're working so hard. Hmm. And we're wide open for discouragement. So much to be done. So we lose strength. The very next verse says, since there was so much rubble, not only did they lose strength, but they lost vision. (laughs) Oh, their eyes were no longer on the magnificent plan or the dream. All they could see was the rubble. I don't know what dream God's given you. But discouragement has a way of slowly just pecking away at it. Ah, to you, lose the vision. You started strong. I'm going to finish this. I remember back in grad school, One of my colleagues and I were sitting in the class, and the very first day of the class, the the professor walks in. He says, look around this room. I'm looking around the room. There's 25 of us in there. He said, I want you to look closely around this room. Half of you will not finish this degree. I punched my colleague and said, we're going to finish this, man. We've got way too much invested in this. We're going to finish. In 2008, I finished. The colleague that I punched had not finished. I was troubled. Had he lost his vision? A lot of things had happened. But it was two years later he did finish. I remember driving up to Lynchburg with him, showing up the day he graduated, put my big arms around him and said, listen, man, we finished. Discouragement has a way of causing us to lose vision, but also look at the very next verse there in Nehemiah 4. The last part of verse 10, it says, we will never be able to rebuild the wall. Not only had they lost strength, they lost vision, now they have lost their confidence. Man, this is too much. Oftentimes as I'm working with couples in counseling, I often remind them as they come into the office and they sit down, this is going to be work. 
I don't have a magic wand. I wish I did. I wish, I wish when couples would come across the threshold of the office door that I could pull out that magic wand and I could wave over them and poof. Their problems would go away. But like many couples, as they get into the task of the work, like these, they can lose confidence. They feel overwhelmed. Loss of strength, loss of vision, loss of confidence. And then the very next verse it says, And our enemies, who, wait a minute, don't read that too fast. Look now who they are listening to. They're not listening to Nehemiah. They're not listening to God. Now they're listening to who? Who are they listening to? The enemies. You see what discouragement does? It causes us to now, that tool as it gets entrenched, it causes us to forget God. And now I'm listening to the enemy. And what does the enemy say? Well, I promise you, the enemy doesn't have good words. In fact, it says, the enemy said they won't know or see anything until we're among them. And we kill them and stop the work. Oh, they now have lost their security. You know, when they started this task, this was going to be a pretty awesome, incredible task to rebuild this wall. But now... The enemy is beginning to talk to them. They're hearing the enemy and now they're starting to struggle. They're looking over their shoulders. They, they can't keep their mind on the task that God's given them. It was going to take divine protection. Hmm. What a powerful picture of what happens when discouragement comes on the scene. We lose our strength, we lose our vision, we lose our confidence, we lose our security. But now I want to show us how we can wonderfully take this task and we can discard that tool. The beauty of the Scriptures of showing us how to discard the tool of discouragement How do I put it away in the shed to ensure that I don't use that tool anymore and it doesn't impact me? Well, that's where we go to in Hebrews chapter 10. Picking back up the passage that was read this morning for us. The first way to discard the tool of discouragement is to engage in Christian fellowship. Engage in Christian fellowship. In Hebrews 10 and verse 23 The Hebrew writer says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. You kind of get the word picture here. The discouragement, the tool of discouragement is beginning to to make its way in. It's it's beginning to put pressure on you. And the tendency is, is to throw in the towel and lose confidence and lose security. And the writer here tells us, hold on. Hold on! But hold on to what? To the confession of our hope. What hope? For he who promised is faithful. God is faithful. And in verse 24 he says, And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote, to stimulate, to stir up love and good works. 
Not staying away from our meetings as some habitually do. But here it is. But encouraging each other all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's something to be said about where you sit today. You're rubbing shoulders with brothers and sisters in Christ. One of the greatest ways to to discard the tool of discouragement is by engaging in Christian fellowship. One of the great purposes of you rubbing shoulders beside those people you sit with is he says it here is to promote, to stir up love and good works. It's amazing to me sometimes how we just think those morning times of getting together and shaking somebody's hand may not have a lot of impact. I was recently made aware that's not true. What you say to somebody at that moment when you are shaking their hand and you're smiling in their face, that may be the only smile they got this week. And the way you ask, how are you doing? With a genuine, how are you doing? I'm not saying in the workplace. Most of the time in the workplace, they really don't care. And all they want you to say is fine. But in here, it's different. In here, when somebody grabs a hold of your hand, and they smile on your face, and they ask you, how are you doing? They get it. Now, you don't have discouragement written across your forehead. But there is something to be said about the the crucialness of engaging in Christian fellowship to discard the tool of discouragement. How big of a deal was this to Paul? You know, Paul had a dream. And all the persecution and trouble and trial inside his dream was one day, one day I want to be at Rome and give the gospel in Rome. And guess what happened? In Acts 28, he gets that opportunity. He makes it to Rome. In fact, if you've got a moment, flip over very quickly to Acts chapter 28. An incredible, incredible picture in the life of the Apostle Paul in Acts 28, and it says, And as so we came to Rome, in verse 15, now the believers heard the news about us. And they come to meet us as far away as the Forum of Apis, which actually is 43 miles away, and then also three taverns, which is 33 miles away. Paul saw them... Thanked God, and what does it say? He took courage. (laughs) Don't ever, ever underestimate the power of your presence, of speaking to somebody here in this place, or whenever you have lunch with somebody. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 3, in verse 12, it says, Watch out, brothers so that there won't be in any of you evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God. 
oh, do this this week, but encourage each other daily. While it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. By, this, by the tool of discouragement, we need each other. The danger is, is that when I really get discouraged, I don't know about you, the tendency is to want to go over in my corner and shut the door and stay there by myself and not let anybody engage me. But the Scriptures are clear. We need to engage each other in Christian fellowship. So the first way to discard the tool of discouragement is very simply engaging in Christian fellowship. So the second way to discard the tool of discouragement is to read and meditate and obey the Scripture. See that over in Romans chapter 15. In Romans chapter 15 and verses 4 and 5, this is the Apostle Paul writing again. And in Romans 15 and 4, he says, For whatever was written before was written for our instruction, so that through our endurance, and now notice this phrase, through the encouragement of the what? of the Scriptures, we may have hope. Now may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you agreement with one another according to Christ Jesus. Oh, the second way we discard the tool of discouragement is by reading, meditating, and obeying the Scriptures. There was a businessman who had to leave town in a hurry. He had about 350 employees, and on his private jet plane, he wrote a letter to the employees telling them what he wanted done, and he mailed it back to them. Each employee got a copy, giving specific details what was to happen while he was away. After several months, he returned. As his limousine pulled up to the corporate headquarters, this businessman noticed, to his dismay, weeds growing, ivy growing on the face of the building. The grass had not been cut. The sidewalk was beginning to show decay. He walked inside the building, and to his amazement, the employees were, were talking and drinking coffee and involved in horseplay and He thought, my word, what has happened here? So he called the employees together and and asked them an obvious question. Did you get my letter? The employees said, well, sure we did. We've had meetings every week and we've studied your letter. Some people who were ambitious, they memorized some of your letter. And the businessman then said, did you think about putting it into practice? The employee said, oh, we were too busy studying the letter. 
Oh, if we're going to be serious about discarding the tool of discouragement, we must be serious about reading and meditating and doing what the Word of God says, right? What is the Word of God? What Scripture passage do you hold to? I remember on many occasions when I was still a field medic over in Durham and screaming down the streets of Durham with lights and sirens and going to this shooting, that shooting, that stabbing, not knowing what I was ready to walk into. I remember on numerous occasions I would often, always go back to 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given me fear. He's given me power. He's given me love. He's given me a sound mind. That one I've held to many a time, screaming down the streets of Durham, and not even necessarily screaming down the streets of Durham, but going down 440. But God's given us power, love, and a sound mind. I don't know what, what scriptures do you be still and know I'm God. In Jeremiah 29, know I have plans for you. What's your promise? Read it. Study it. Practice it. The third way to discard the tool of discouragement is very simply holding firm to our faith in God. Holding firm to our faith in God. In fact, over in Psalm 27, in verse 13, the New American Standard reads it so wonderfully. It says, I would have despaired. David, who is being very transparent here, gives us a glimpse into his life when the tool of discouragement has begun knocking on his door, walking into his soul, and he begins to feel discouragement. This is what he writes, I would have despaired unless I had believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Very transparent. David would have given up. He would have thrown in the towel had he not believed. But what did he believe? He believed that he would see the goodness of the Lord. Now it's amazing. When we get discouraged, it sometimes seems that we do not even want to believe. Let's just be honest. The tool of discouragement has come into our soul and is wringing us apart, and we even know, want to be wondering. As Job's wife said to him, why don't you just curse God and die? (laughs) Wow. And then Job had the capacity to say, though He slay me. What in the world did this guy believe? He held firm in his faith in God. What did he believe? Well, the very next verse in Psalm 27 and 14, he gives us these words. He says, wait for the Lord. 
Be courageous. And let your heart be strong. Wait for the Lord. He says it twice. Wait. Now does this mean that I go over here in the corner and I sit over in the corner and I wait till something happens and I grit my teeth and just get through it? Absolutely not. In fact, the Hebrew rendering of this word literally means to twist a cord. So while in a trial, we are to be twisting ourselves around Yahweh. Not abandoning God, but binding to God. And by the way, it's not a passive kind of waiting. It's a waiting that we are to seek to know God. It's a waiting in which we pray. I think the hymn writer said it best. Tell it. To Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. He is a friend. Well, no. You have no such a friend or brother. Tell it to Jesus alone. So, as you're winding yourself around God and binding yourself to God, those moments of prayer. But then also, as we're waiting, we're to be learning. One of these days, I hope to do a message on what do you do when you're in God's waiting room. I think most of us have been there, haven't we? Either we've waited for the dentist to get ready to do something to our teeth, or we've waited at the hospital when that loved one is, is in the care of a surgeon But what do you do when you're in the waiting room? I've sat with patients and families on numerous occasions as they were waiting for either procedure or they're waiting for somebody to get through a procedure. And often I find there's great lessons to be learned in the waiting room. I don't know about you, but I would challenge you. Think about it when you're sitting there in that waiting room. What is God teaching me right now? Is He telling me that as smart as I think I am, that I really, I don't have everything under control? What are we learning about God? God's a provider. God's provision is there. So as we're waiting, we're praying, we're learning, and we're studying. Studying. What are we studying? What are we learning about God? Hmm. To discard the tool of discouragement, we must hold firm to our faith in God. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? Today we've just quickly looked at situations where discouragement occurs. It's physical illness, the loss of a dream, the persecution for godly living. 
We look to what happens when discouragement comes. We lose our strength. We lose our vision. We lose our confidence. We lose our security and vision and strength. I don't know where you're at today. I, I do pray that if the tool of discouragement has kind of wrangled a hold of your soul, that you would uh, put it away, discard it by engaging in Christian fellowship. Reading, meditating, obeying God's Word. Oh, don't abandon your faith now. Hold firm. Holy God, we just come to You in these moments realizing that You are a sovereign God. You see every soul. You see every need. You see that person today that is on cloud nine. Things are going right and they can whistle a tune that great is God. But God, You also see that soul today who is very down, very discouraged, and maybe, God, they have lost their strength. They have lost their vision. They have no more confidence and their security is vacant. Somehow, holy God, I pray that we could engage in Christian fellowship. Lord, even today, You would bring along somebody in this congregation alongside somebody else to minister encouragement. Lord, bring to our mind Scripture passages that we can, we can read and memorize and meditate and obey. And then, dear God, help us to hold firm in our faith. Oh, would we take this tool of Satan and discard it with Your grace. And with your strength we pray. And all God's people said.